Welcome to Wolfram and Stone's podcast, All Things Property Management, where David Wolfram sits down and chats with industry insiders about all things property management. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of All Things Property Management. Welcome to the first episode of Wolfram and Stone's All Things Property Management podcast. I'm David Wolfram, and today I've got with me Madeline Cale from Brixton Mortar Real Estate, who are located in Fitzroy North in Melbourne. Welcome to the show, Madeline. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk a bit about your your history and how you got into real estate and your working life. I don't want you to go back as far as being a baby or anything and when you were born, but how you started your working life and, and found real estate as being a career of choice. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it all started for me in my early 20s, um, and I think I sort of just fell into real estate. You know, like most of us do, when we, we first start out, it wasn't really a career choice for me. It was just I knew that I wanted to be successful and I knew that I wanted to work hard and I knew that people in real estate could make money. So <laughs> the, the math sort of added up for me. Um, but I didn't really have, yeah, I didn't have any experience, didn't even have um, office experience. I'd come from working in hospitality. So, um, and I was applying for jobs for several months and really, you know, getting knocked back on everything that I was applying for. Um, I had ended up moving back to my hometown of Shepparton um, with my family uh, and in the end there was a position that came up. Um, it wasn't even on seek, it was in the newspaper of all things back when they posted <laughs> jobs in the paper. <laughs> That's a while back. Yeah. And it was a property management role and, and I had been only really applying for like receptionist and administration-based roles because I you know, didn't think I had the experience to, to even be considered for that sort of thing. And in the end I thought, oh, well, you know, got to be in it to win it so I threw my resume in and they called me for an interview Um, and as it turned out this officer's philosophy was that they hired you know completely green newbies so that they could train them the way that they wanted to train them and you know they were more interested in people that just were savvy and had a bit of smarts rather than knew the act backwards or whatever Um, so yeah got put in the hot seat really fast Um, my first VCAT hearing was about three weeks after I started and it was you know $10,000 abandonment claim with all the bells and whistles um, so yeah, I sort of had to figure it out pretty quickly, but, um, I did that for a couple of years and then came back to Melbourne, um, and secured a property management position, uh, there. Very different experience to having done it in the country. I was just going to say, what's the, how was the transition between country and Melbourne? Um, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was, it was predominantly it was the socioeconomic demographic was, was the biggest difference. Like obviously in the country, um, you know, you can typically afford to buy property there because it's not as expensive. So um, the the rental market can typically be the, the lower socioeconomic half of the demographic, really. Um, and so I'd come from, you know, really high rent arrears, lots of issues with VCAT. I think I had a VCAT here. I averaged maybe one a week, once a fortnight when I was in SHEP. Um, so that was like a crash course for me. Um, I got a lot of experience. And, yeah, I got to Melbourne and I sort of expected it to be the same, but it really wasn't. Um, just, yeah, much better interactions and um, obviously in certain suburbs it's better than others, but um, much more pleasant really and, and the rent arrears came down significantly. In fact, I think I lost my groove with VCAT for a period there because I didn't have a hearing for so long. That's doing well. Yeah, it was That's nice. nice. <laughs> it was a bit of a refreshing change. And it was hilarious because I remember interviewing for positions and being told at the time that they couldn't, like multiple positions and being told that I couldn't be offered the salary that they were advertising because I was from the country and PMs in the country weren't worth as much. Um, we didn't have the same level of experience. 
And, you know, I was young and green at the time, and so I thought that must have been true. And it wasn't until I got in, in you know, could compare both roles that I realised that it's actually quite the opposite, I think. So, um, yeah. It's, from travelling around, there seems to be a, there's a big difference between country and, and suburban customer service levels, I think. Yeah. And the way that people talk yeah, and react be. to people. Yeah, absolutely. You sort of, well, I guess that comes down to, again, the demographic and people's education levels and that sort of thing. Typically when you're in the inner suburbs of Melbourne, the sort of people that are renting in those areas are, a, a, like obviously an amalgamation of, of different um, jobs and, and backgrounds and that sort of thing, studying degrees and all that sort of stuff. But you get a, a portion of the demographic, obviously, that are university educated. They might be doctors or lawyers or barristers even, and naturally they behave and carry themselves much differently to someone who perhaps um, has never really worked or is on family tax benefits and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not to, you know, judge people's backgrounds, but it, it does display in yeah, the way people were raised or where they've come from, that sort of thing. Um, and that can be positive and negative. I've dealt with plenty of high-level corporates that have been jerks. So <laughs> you can... Yeah, it's... it's... <laughs> There's one in every level, isn't there? Exactly. It's not that clean cut. But um, but by, by the same token, you know, the, the more affluent areas, you typically get renters who, um, if they do damage something, they're more prepared to pay for it because they've got the cash. Yeah. It's neither here nor there for them or they're, you know, willing and ready to have a professional clean done at the end of the tenancy because they don't have the time um, versus someone who just simply can't afford to do that and, and asking someone to go back to a property or professionally clean it when they're moving out and um, potentially taking money out of their bond is actually the difference between them you know, being able to afford groceries the next week. So there's a lot more riding on it and it can often elicit much more of an emotional response when you're trying to navigate that. So, yeah, di- different experiences for sure. For sure. Excellent. Um, so now you're, you're with Bricks and Mortar, how did that come about? How did you move from yeah. being an employee to of a business to a partner partner. yeah um well so we started our business in 2018 um i'd sort of gotten to um a a bit of a crossroads with property management um i felt as though um without tooting my own trumpet um i I just had done very well in both roles that i had been in um and wasn't really given the pay opportunities i think that i sort of deserved um sometimes you know certain offices will promise everything, deliver nothing. I was feeling a bit burnt, really. Okay. Burnt and burnt out because I'd also been uh, managing, you know, l- large numbers of properties and that sort of things for, for quite a while. Um, I got off How many of, properties were you managing? Um, at my highest, I got to 240. Um, so nothing outrageous. I, I do know PMs that manage more than that, but no admin support. It was end-to-end management um, and, and also growth. So I'd worked for an office where um, – when I started, we had there was three hundred properties, so two property managers, one fifty each. And by the time I left, eighteen months later, we had six hundred and something. So we doubled in size in a year and a half. We obviously hired another staff member, but we hadn't really kept up with that growth. So constantly new properties coming on um, and filtering more into the portfolio. So it was yeah, just doing everything really, um, and then getting to the end of that route, route and discovering that the bonus you were promised is no longer on the table was a bit of a kick in the guts. Yeah. So, you know, first thing that's going to make an employee walk out the door. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I I'd sort of had enough. I needed a bit of a break. Um, one of the directors offered me a position in sales and I gave that a go for about six months. Um, unfortunately, like no, you know, disrespect to them or anything like that, unfortunately it was in the end of 2018 when the market did turn a little bit and this particular sales agent went from listing a a large number of properties in a year to not as many 
Um, so you probably didn't need to hire me at that time. Yeah. Um, and the writing was kind of on the wall. So I sort of moved away from that um, and I was offered a position as a buyer advocate. Um, so I was still trying to feel out what I wanted to do with my life. It, it, nothing was really clear at that point. Um, and then, yeah, my now business partner who was a previous client, he was an, an old landlord or rental provider of mine. Um, he had knocked down the property that I used to manage and had developed five townhouses on it. Okay. And had a number of other properties yep. as well in Melbourne. Um, and didn't have a property background at all, or, or sorry, didn't have a real estate background at all. He had worked in um, like building and planning before um, and, you know, doing maintenance plan and defect reports. So he was very savvy in the building space but just had, you know, wasn't a real estate agent per se. Um, and he, yeah, he, he was from the customer's side of things, just very sick of the status quo with property yep. management. He'd, um, you know, just seen it happen time and time again where a PM lasts six months and then they're out the door and you've got someone new and, um they don't know anything about your property and yeah, yeah. Um, and also just I guess the um the low low caliber of knowledge of how to solve something you know if someone's new and, and I was the same when I first started in the industry you make mistakes you learn yeah. um but he, you know seeing that as the customer time and time again he was just really sick of it so he, he sort of couldn't really see the difference between just managing the properties himself really um and so he approached me and sort of said, look, I've got this idea. Um, I want to be a property management-focused company. At this point in time, we had no vision to do sales. Yeah. Um, and he said, I want you to run it. I want." He, he didn't really know how to do it, um, but he had the capital and, and the vision. Yep. So we partnered up, um, and the plan was to just get 12 months in at that point and just see, A, if we gelled together, um, you know, because we didn't know each other yeah. very well, um, and if we could get something off the ground, um, and then – if that kind of worked, the plan was just to get to 500 properties, um, which, you know, would lead us to the point where we would have an office and a team and, um, and it was, you know, very humble really. Just just let's get to 500 managements and see if we can get there. And you've got an office now, which is it's a really nice office. Yeah, it's, and, it's and beautiful. It's got, yeah. it's got some good things from an employee point of view. You've got a nice area outside where you can have drinks and yeah. little get-togethers. Um, it's about 18 months ago maybe. We bought um, just a little, it, it was a house really in Fitzroy North, just one of those little terrace houses, um, and gutted it. It was, a you know, falling over his crap. So <laughs> gutted it, did a really beautiful renovation, knocked out walls and turned upstairs into an office, all open plan. Um, but, yeah, we, we wanted to spend money and we wanted it to be nice. Like yeah. um, by that point things were going terrifically well with property management, so we knew we were going to hit those targets. Um, and by that point as well, Sahil had also quit his day job and come into the business full time and given sales a go. Um, and he's doing terrifically well. So, um, you know, we had money to reinvest into the business um, to make a really nice office for everyone. But the vision was to create um, a space that, you know, employees, you know, build it and they will come. Yeah. Where employees they want, want to be want there. To be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we fitted it out across uh, credit to him. All the all the work went in. Um, Sahil was just an absolute legend. He was there at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning every day, meeting trades, project managing the whole thing to get it get us in as fast as possible. Um, and February last year we moved in, so we've been there for a year. Fantastic, and it's going really well being in there. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a really nice space. Um, yeah, my business partner's a bit of a tech head, so we've got you know the surround sound system. There's a nice big TV which you can connect your, your laptops to. Um, everything's nicely automated, lights, alarm system, everything. So um, we've got some artwork in there and everything. It's just a nice place to spend time. Um, yeah. And, I mean, he and I are there like 14 hours a day. So, you know, you let's make, make it, it nice. Enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what being in business for yourself or with a business partner, what have you found being the most difficult part of doing that, of that journey? 
Um, I think that answer's probably changed along the way. Things I found to be the hardest a few years ago now are easy for me and I've got new challenges. It's it's probably the constant evolving really has been the hardest thing. Um, I went from, um, yeah, just being an employee who really didn't have much now as far as business went or have any clue how any, any of that stuff worked to, um, yeah, now having to make sure, like trying to maximise profits on the rent roll, um, hire uh, strategically so that we can continue to make money um, and fire when appropriately things are not working out um, and, and having to, I guess, navigate that, like, you know, managing staff, managing a team, something I've never done before. Yeah. It was a gun at property management. I was a terrific property manager, but I, I never managed people. Yeah, it's a very different skill set. It really not, is. Not everyone can do both. Yeah, and I've seen that before. And now I think that I'm on the other side of it. I, I understand from having worked with certain directors across the time, you know, you would a bit of slack because um, you could be a terrific sales agent or a terrific property manager, but you're not necessarily um, a very good manager. Yeah, um, or business, business brain. Yeah, yeah. So it is, yeah, I've had to really try and develop that skill and, I, and I've got a long way to go. Um, I'm learning things every day. Um, biggest challenges, I suppose, have been trying to, make sure that our vision is maintained and our service levels are maintained. Like that's why we started in the first place yeah. and I, I really don't want to lose that. Um, but trying to make sure that we're hiring people that um, understand the importance of that and are prepared to maintain it. Yep. Um, and then when they're not, calling it and and making the decisions. And having to deal with it, yeah. yeah. And also I guess it's also that planning of when do we need to put on an extra person um, so as the service levels don't fall, but also so as it's affordable. That's right. That's been that's been a bit tricky to, to manage. Um, we have so far always hired earlier than we need to for that exact reason, like to ma- maintain those service levels, but also so that I can maintain some growth. Um, we probably list, it's a little bit all over the shop, but we probably list between 10 and 14 managements a month on average, um, and I want to increase that. I'd like to get it to 20 um, but the hardest thing has been just constant momentum. Obviously, you've got, you know, different periods, different times of year when you would typically have more investors, website inquiries, that sort of thing coming in. Um, but, but just based off our normal growth strategies, referral partners and that sort of thing, we're trying to keep it sort of even and set. Um, but it's very difficult to do when, you know, so from my perspective, for example, you know, I do all the trust accounting, I manage the team, I do all the new business, um, social media management, um, and then I also just do a lot in terms of onboarding. So I, every client gets, you know, put in touch with landlord insurance, a depreciation schedule. We help with capital works as well if they've got some renovations to do before they go to, to market um, or if they're moving out of their property, I help them with their removal. So we're, we're very full service and that's what helps me with my growth. It's a lot of work. Um, so trying to do that when, if, if, for example, my portfolio gets to 100 plus properties and then I'm still trying to list 10 to 14 properties a month, you start to really slow down. Um, so, yeah, we've always hired early so that I can kind of still maintain the service levels and just keep going the way we need to go. Um, and I think we'll continue to do that. With Sahil and I, thankfully, have always shared a vision that it's not about extracting every dollar from the profit yeah. margin um, until we get to a point where we're happy with it. Like our new goal now is 1,000 managements. We, we, we've actually just about to. We, we hit 499 managements last night. So oh, excellent. We're nearly at 500. Excellent. So um, next week you'll be at your, your first goal. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just hit the first goal, 500 managements. Fantastic. Um, well done. It's a bit of a pinch me moment, but we moved the goal to a thousand managements, you know, like a year or so ago. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's been the vision for a while. But 
I think until we get to that point, we will continue to reinvest into the business as we need to to make sure that we're always ahead of the game. Yep. Excellent. Um, yeah, we're Excellent. going to slow down then. Have, so, have a holiday. <laughs> a holiday? What's that? <laughs> so I've noticed that one of the things that you're really put out there in a professional way is your social media. And particularly oh, yeah. on Instagram, I've noticed that your, your pictures are really good quality and you're doing a really good job there. How do you, what's the value of social media that you see to property management? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's imperative I, and not just for the real estate or the property management space, I think it's, it's part of business now. Like people want to see you online. It's almost like fact-checking if you're le- legitimate or not. Um, and it's also an amazing way for you as well to um, add value and give knowledge out for free but also really instill some trust. And, you know, before a particular client's made a decision, for example, it's like another touch point that they can sort of, you know, bounce you off, reference you off. Um, it's so, in, you know, in terms of our social media, it's kind of always been quite important. Um, and I look back at some of the posts that we put up five years ago and they're, you know, they're a bit, you know, um, now they have, like, we, we've evolved and it's come a long way. But um, we try to post regularly, you know, multiple times a day. I don't always nail that. I do go through periods where I really I don't put anything up for days at a time. Um, my business partner, he's got a background in marketing. So, um, yeah, he's really onto it um, and, and, and has understood the importance of it from the beginning. I've kind of learned along the way, whereas really it's been him that's known just how important it is. Um, but we, yeah, we try and um, keep a really fresh appearance online and it reflects what our brand is about. Um, you know, we're a high-level, high-service, end-to-end management agency, and so we want to look high-end online as well. Um, and our fees reflect that as well. So, you know, just like Emirates versus Jetstar, you, you've got to show people what they're paying for. Um, and you've got to have that consistent as well. Like you've yeah. you've got that consistent high-quality look yeah. with your office and the way that's set up and then the way that you're doing your, your social media and everything that gives you that consistency. So people won't question, oh, but you're not high-value because this is crap. 100%. It's got to all be a universal effort. And it comes down to literally the way I dress every day. So I actually don't enjoy wearing, you know, corporate clothes that I wear every day and full face and makeup and whatever. I love being in my trackies um, or my active wear or whatever. And on my work from home days, that's great. But when I'm client facing, which is most days, um, I try and dress the part because I, yeah. I, you know, dress for who you have, how you want to be perceived. Um, I think that's extremely important, and that's one of the first touch points. You're always speaking to people on a psychological, you know, subconscious level, um, and you're always presenting that brand. So, um, yeah, like obviously all of our sales properties have professional photos, so that one's an easy no-brainer, but we also do it as a non-negotiable for all of our rental campaigns as well. Um, If we've got a client who doesn't want to have rental photos, I'll get them anyway and pay for it. Like it it has to happen. Um, And then, you know, they obviously go onto the social media as well, which all, all looks really nice. Um, but in addition to that, you know, like we've just started making reels, for example, <laughs> I'm trying to give that a go. Um, and that's been fun, but like, I've got a ring light, for example, for lighting, just to keep things like really light and fresh and make sure that things are looking as best as possible. Um, and you know, for someone's birthday, we're taking photos or we have a photo shoot of the office done. I'll post those pictures so that pretty much all of it, you know, really yeah. looks like just nice and sleek. Um, as well as even, um, so if I'm posting like a sold result or a least result, they're not really the posts that get very much in the way of um, actual uh, engagement. Like, I don't get that many likes on it or shares or anything like that, but I'll use Canva to kind of edit it and it will go on the grid and it just helps, you know, if a client clicks on it just to have a quick look to see who we are and what we're about, it's all there. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And um, 
So you've got your your social media working well and and your office working well and all of that. So and your next goal is a thousand properties. Yeah. So what's the what's the next three or four years look like to until you reach that? Um, for me now, I think it's going to be all about yeah, just trying to focus on scale. Um, probably one of the biggest challenges when you know we hired property manager number one in particular, and then number two is you spend several months growing a portfolio. Every single one of those clients I've signed up myself. I've got a relationship with them, um, I, and I like a lot of my clients as well. They're really good people. Um, you get into a real groove when your aligned client starts knocking on your door regularly, and then they refer on their contacts who are the same sort of people, and so you get along with them. Um, but it's very difficult for me to hand over a portfolio because it, I get protective of it. Um, and you don't want someone to come in and, you know, stuff it up, um, stop giving the same level of service that you do. So I think I've now, I guess, come to a point where I, I can mentally, you know, process that and compartmentalise and hand it over a little bit easier, but I need to now get much better at just, you know, listing it and then making introductions to who their property manager is going yep. to be very early um, so that and then allow them allow them to provide the service allow them to wow the client I've done my part it's you know it's time for them and we have got like we've got a couple of superstars that started with us just a few months ago and they're just fantastic property managers so they can do it Um, I just need to let go (laughs) and let them but yeah the next few years will be um, more about scale um, and and just making sure that our systems and processes really keep up so that we can move as fast as we want to move yeah. And look, probably probably the last thing I'm going to ask you today is that one of the things in property management, particularly in Melbourne and possibly in other states, but very much here, is there seems to be a very big discount culture with some agents in fees. the fees. How do you find with your you you brand yourself and you've done a good job with the office and the social media and so forth, branding yourself at that top end appearance? Does that help you maintain that level of a good fee level? Um, I believe it does. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would imagine so. Um, social media is one component to it. Another component is our Google reviews. Um, I think it's probably. I mean, everyone wants to have good Google reviews, but I don't think too many people recognise how significant it is. Um, particularly too, when in real estate, it's so easy to get a bad review. If you've got a disgruntled yeah. tenant, sorry, renter, or a disgruntled rental provider who decides to leave you a one-star review, that brings your rating down, you know, really heavily. And some people can be upset about things that are so far out of your control. And if it's defect-related work or a water leak that, you know, things happen every day and you're putting out fires constantly, but it's not always your fault that it's happened, even though it's heavily impacted their life or whatever, and it's kind of your head on the chopping block. So um, we focus really heavily on our Google reviews. I will ask every client to leave me a review. Don't be ashamed to ask. Like, I, I will shameful, shamelessly ask for Google reviews. Um, and when they've, you know, been wowed and you've got them a great result and they've got a great relationship with you, that most of them do. So um, you, they've got this overwhelming amount of evidence that you are who you say you are then. Yep. Um, and so I think that forms one part of it. The social media and the branding forms another part of it. Um, all the ways where I do add value forms another part. So, like, when I go and meet a client for a listing presentation, I will pretty much never just email my fees over in a CMA. I think that's shocking. Unless someone yep. demands it, I won't do that. Um, I'll always try and get in front of them. Um, I'll block out a good hour to an hour and a half. I did one the other day where I was sitting with them for three hours. Just lots of questions, yep. very nervous rental providers yes. doing it for the first time. But I gave them that time um, and I feel like now they'll be, you know, client for life sort of thing. Um, but I'll sit there and go through landlord insurance with them. We talk about depreciation. 
um, all the ins and outs, basically, of property management. We talk about pets and the parameters around that and how I can instill trust and how I'm going to work for them and those sorts of things. So that by the time I get to fees, it's not usually questioned. The only time I really ever have an issue with it is if um, the, the lead has come through like a, a, an internet-based lead funnel yep. where it's been pumped out to five different agents, um, you know, and they're talking to three maybe and someone else has sent them through a cheaper deal because obviously if you see a cheaper dollar figure from someone else and then someone else puts something more expensive in front of you, you're going you're gonna to question it a little bit. So I do lose a percentage of, um, of those. But of our, you know, website inquiries, um, of our referrals from referral partners or referrals from existing clients, um, I pretty much never get questioned on the fees. I don't even blink. It's really only the internet-based ones where my conversion would go down, um, and it's maybe fifty percent instead of you know my normal conversion sits at around eighty-five, ninety percent. Um, That's excellent. On. Yeah, That's it's, and it's I think good. what you've what you've said is really important from my point of view is the time that you're prepared to spend with them to go through everything and, and give them a bit of value adding with the depreciation and, and those type of things and yeah. and just spending that time so as they get comfortable with you. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's when invaluable, I think. Don't rush it. Many, many years ago I, I used to talk about agents that did the fifteen minute appraisal. Yeah. Where it was just walk in, walk around, say it's worth this, these are our fees, give me a call. Anyone that's got this far in the podcast knows how much I talk now, so yeah. <laughs> there's no way I can do anything in 15 minutes. But you're not going to get good fees if that's what you do because you haven't explained what you do. You yeah. need to be at least an hour, I think, if, exactly. not, if not longer. Exactly. You've got to demonstrate how you're going to add value and how your team add value, adds value, what, what they are going to do that's different to everybody else, um, what they can expect. I had like a perfect example. I, I did a listing presentation a couple of days ago, which was a takeover management through one of the you know, biggest competitors we've got in our area and it is tough for me to win them over them because they have such terrific brand recognition and their fees are cheaper typically. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really high-end property that is worth around $1,300 a week, I think. Um, and so went in, spent some time, went through the things that they weren't super happy with and what they, nothing was really going wrong. They just weren't particularly thrilled with anything and there'd been a couple of mistakes and wasn't really any value or relationship for them to, you know, stick around. Um, we discussed depreciation and they had spent seven hundred grand on their renovation. And no one had said anything about anything about depreciation. So when I started explaining, you know, from an umbrella view what it was, this guy's eyes like lit up, um, and he was like, "Why hasn't anyone ever mentioned this?" And I think too, maybe a lot of property managers actually don't understand it very well or know very much. So it's a, you know an area where you've got to upskill yourself yeah. so you can explain it. Um, I'm certainly not selling it. You know, I'm not, not a quantity surveyor. I don't care if they get it done or not. It's more just explaining what it is so that they see that giving I them understand. the option. Yeah, what, yeah. what their needs are. And, and explaining something to them that they might not have understood or even known about before. Yeah, just and so them that the depreciation that this person is going to be able to capitalise on moving forward. Now, like, I think he's had it rented for two years. This will be the third. Um, he turned around to me at the end of it and he said, I'm just going to, because I matched, I matched the fees in the end, um, but he turned around to me in the end and he said, listen, I'll speak to my accountant. We'll get this um, depreciation report done. But he said, based on what you've just told me, I will come back to you and I, we're going to up the fees if, I can get more money back because he stands to get like 15, 20 grand back a yeah, year. And that's a big win. It's huge. And it's because of you. So it's you should all my get fees paid for. something for it. So, you know, it's moments like that where I, you know, I'm jumping up and down because it's, yeah, you feel yeah. really good when you've added value like that. Fantastic. That's a great note for us to, to finish up on. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. And hope everyone has enjoyed the first episode of the Wolf Warren Stone podcast. 
Um, but thank you very much, Madeline, and, and we'll speak to you again and we'll continue to watch the story of bricks and mortar. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of All Things Property Management. We'll have another one for you in the near future. We hope you've enjoyed this one and got a lot out of it. In the meantime, all property managers out there, please remember that if you need help, please feel free to call our PM helpline 1300 641 355. Thank you.